Please stand for the reading of God's word. Our teaching text this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto, us, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on, ar- on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Steve. All right. Well, good morning. Morning. Oh, I feel like it's been so long since I've done this. I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, my name is Jordan. If I haven't met you, so glad that you're here. Our text, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 to 14. Let me first tell you about one of the best summer jobs I ever had, okay? It was working at Grouse Mountain as a zipline tour guide. Zipline tour guide. I would just go ziplining over and over and over again. It was exhilarating. It was fun. Met people from all over the world. And I remember like that first week, that second week, just like, I can't believe this is my job. This is so much fun. Then late August rolled around and I'd gone ziplining like a thousand times and I was just so over it. And I remember like tourists coming for the first time ever And some of them were like, this is incredible. I'm flying. I feel like I'm flying. There's the city. There's the mountains. Is that a bear down there? This is the best day of my life. And I'm on the zip line behind them just like, like kind of on my phone. Like, and I was so numb to what was going on around me because I'd done it so many times. And here's what I would contend for us this morning. Okay, particularly in the Christmas season, is we hear some of these same stories year after year, over and over again, that we become prone to being numb to beautiful realities that are right in front of our faces. And so what happens this Christmas season is we hear similar texts that we've heard hundreds of times, and we just kind of check out. Like, I've heard this before, I know the story. And I'm really hopeful and have been prayerful all week that the Holy Spirit would combat those parts of our souls. And so what I want to do before we even dive into anything is I want to give us all a moment just where you are to quiet your hearts, to pray to God and ask him to help you fixate your eyes upon him so that you might hear from him this morning. So just where you are, maybe you have something you're distracted by coming in here this morning. Just ask God to help you focus in this time. So just take a few moments. (coughs) 
Okay, so our text this morning, again, is Luke 2, uh, verses 8 to 14, and these verses are about an angel of God who is heralding or bringing the good news of the coming Messiah to a bunch of shepherds in a field at night. Uh, Steve just read it, but let's read it again together. Verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so the key word for us this morning is peace and particularly the peace that the birth of Jesus brings to us at Advent. And so really simply, this is where we're going, two parts to this message. First, we're gonna see who peace is for, and secondly, we're gonna see peace at work. Really simple, so who peace is for. The first thing I want us to see as this story begins is that it is going to go completely countercultural in regards to typical social dynamics. Okay? Like some Christian scholars, uh, particularly Tim Keller the most, they use the phrase kingdom economics. Kingdom economics to describe God's way of doing things. What we mean by that is that the economy of God's kingdom is upside down and doesn't operate the way that we do or even the way we think is logical. So where we would have power and wealth and status and accomplishment as worthy and admirable qualities, God would say, no, 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 it's meekness and lowliness Poor in spirit, these are things that should be valued. Humility, not swagger, should be valued. That's kingdom economics at work. And what I mean about this story being countercultural is that the bringing of the good news of Jesus Christ, that news does not come to the religious leaders or the religious elite. It doesn't even come to those who are just nailing their daily devotionals, you know, up at 5 a.m. every day, lighting a little candle, some background music. It doesn't come to them. It doesn't come to those who give 20% instead of 10%. No, the announcement of the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ does not come to the morally upright or the socially admirable. The good news of Jesus comes to those who are broken and hopeless and lost. It comes to shepherds. Now I'm going to assume, because we live in North Van, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that we don't know many shepherds. But shepherds, particularly in the first century, were so not thought of and not important 
that their testimony wasn't even valid in the court of law. They were considered just to be scoundrels and, and liars and thieves, unclean, morally disgusting social outcasts. On top of this, they were rejected by the first century Jewish leaders. They were rejected as those who were outside of the covenant of God. And the Jews believed this because of what the shepherds did or did not do on a regular occasion because they did not go to the temple for regular sacrifices because they were busy watching their flocks. And because of that, they couldn't keep the cleanliness laws of the Jewish people. And so the religious leaders saw them as unclean. They saw them as filthy, as unwanted. And they even saw them outside the good graces of God. And yet, when it comes time for this angel to announce the good news that all the hopes of the people of God are about to be realized, God chooses not to come to the morally upright or religious elite, but rather the morally broken and hopeless. Like that's kingdom economics at work. And I don't know what that does for your soul this morning, but that gives me tremendous hope. It gives me hope that God could come to me with this good news because honestly, my attributes are way more in line with the shepherds than the religious elite. Like broken, unclean, hopeless, unwanted, do those qualities sound familiar at all in your hearts? Well, there, there's good news. There's good news coming for you today and we can marvel at that. See, what, what I found to be true is that people, um, many people who are not Christians or people who have animosity or anger towards God, they believe that God already has animosity or a dislike of them, so they might as well just dislike him back. There's really an incorrect perception of what they think God thinks about them. So you'll hear things like, oh, like, God doesn't, there's no way God likes me. God can't possibly like me, like, like me, so I don't like him either. Forget him, I don't need him. And there's this animosity and anger in their hearts towards God because they think that God has written them off and yet the good news of God comes to those who thought they were written off. It comes to the shepherds. God comes to them and says, I got something great for you. Like, let that sink in for a second. There's another miscue in kingdom economics, and this one, personally, uh, really drives me crazy. And it's that some Christians, not, not all Christians, some Christians, we tend to over-isolate ourselves from people who don't love Jesus, who, who don't put their faith in him, and we tend to build like this protective shell and put up these really high walls to keep sinners out so we don't catch their sin. What's the problem with that? Uh, we're all sinners too, so wherever we are, sin's gonna follow us because we're there. 
And so we see God in sending this angel to the shepherds. It's actually a pattern and a model of how Jesus will do his ministry and how he will follow us to do ministry as well. Flip over or flip back to Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two, we'll see this at work here. It'll be on the screen as well. Mark 2, 15. Oh, can you guys tell him I'm fired up? Let's go. Mark 2, it says, And as he, Jesus, reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors, which were the most wicked of wicked people, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you got into the gospels, you, you would see that the most common accusation made against Jesus was that he was called the friend of sinners. The fact that he had table, table, which is a multiple hour time together over good food, good conversation, something that probably doesn't happen as often as it should today, you know, because we're all about like that speed and efficiency on to the next thing, let's go. But, but there's really a spiritual loss that can come with rushing like that tabling, which is a, a long time together, you know, rich in conversation, full of good food. Jesus makes a habit of doing this again and again, and with who? Tax collectors and sinners. Not, not the culturally admirable, the culturally deplorable. And for the Pharisees and the morally and religious upright, it really bothered them that Jesus preferred to hang out with the sinners. The fact that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house was the most scandalous thing you could ever imagine. That he hung out with sinners was constantly used against him to discredit his ministry. They'd be like, how could you follow this guy? Look who he's hanging out with. And yet, we see Jesus being serious about sin, being serious about salvation, serious about repentance, and yet the friend of sinners. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all, that all should reach repentance. He's the friend of sinners, and he's patient. And yet Jesus is able to work in this space where he's in the world and not of the world. And, and he carries himself not as a man who wants to be accepted by the popular crowd, but as someone who is confident in the word of God and is able to engage men and women away from what is false and into what is true. 
And so if you're in here this morning and you're not a Christian, or maybe we are and we've just forgotten this, the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas is about his love and friendship toward you. It's not him coming with a whole new set of commandments and rules for you to follow. It's not why Jesus came. That's not the baby who was born. In John 3.17, I know 3.16 gets all the hype. 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, no, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is the friend of sinners. That's who his peace is for. And sure, what that means for us corporately is that as lights of the world, as bringers of peace, we are called not to build higher walls around us, but longer tables to share that peace. We don't consider ourselves as better than anyone, but rather confidently knowing that we are rescued, we are redeemed, we are reconciled, and now bringers of that reconciliation, which means that our doors are open. Our time is open, our lives are open, because man, does this world need peace right now? He's the friend of sinners. He's the friend of the outcast. He's the friend of the lowly. And if you're a Christian in here, the call is the same on your life. And so might we ask and plead with the Prince of Peace Jesus, for a greater affection for those who do not know him. May he give us a burning passion and really a wait for them. Not, not for us to be the ones who save them. We are awful saviors. We can't carry that burden, but we can point them towards the one who can. See, the birth of Jesus is God dwelling among those who have rebelled against him. And so we've got Jesus coming into the world, bringing peace to who? Shepherds, the lowly, the unwanted, the searching, the wandering, anxious, the unsettled, the sinful. And so that's who peace is for. Uh, now let's look at peace at work. And so in our text, we see that the coming of Jesus Christ as a baby is ultimately about the glory of God. And so to reset the stage, what happens is after the shepherds hear the good news, the angel and the heavenly hosts all break out in praise. They all break out into song. So look with me at verse 10 again. We'll reset this thing. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, the shepherds, he said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, this is like one of the most climatic moments in the history of the universe. Like someone put this on a big screen. Think about this stage here. God calls this angel and says, go down there and tell those shepherds the good news that's coming for them. And the angel's like, whoa, those shepherds? Are you sure? Did you hear what they were talking about? And God's like, yes, they need this news. Like seriously, think about it. Think about that scene. What do you think a bunch of rough and tough blue collar guys are talking about at the end of a long work day? Like have you ever been in a, in a sports locker room? Ever been on a construction site? They're probably talking like that. And this angel just shows up and he's like, oh boy, do I have news for you guys. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. This scene is so much more epic than I can give it credit for. We, like, we can't rush through this. We have this angel who has come with this incredible news for the shepherds, for the sinners of the world, and he's, he tells them the news, and he's about to break into a song like it's a Disney movie or something and he's about to start singing as he's about to the heavenly hosts show up what that refers to is an army of angels from heaven show up behind him it's like it reminds me at the end of Avengers Endgame when Captain America's like Psh, on your left and all the portals open up and there's this huge army standing behind him it's like the entire time the heavenly hosts were waiting in the bushes like watching okay the angel he's gonna he's telling the shepherds did you hear what that shepherd just said these guys need this news okay that's our cue let's get out there and what do they say verse 14 glory to god in the highest they all join in thousands of them glory to god in the highest why because our Savior is here. Like, man, what a scene. What a moment. Glory to God. And this idea of glory is essentially the highest of high in beauty or magnificence. In, in the Old Testament, glory specifically refers to something being weighty or heavy. And what the Bible means by that is that it has the power to displace or to push down other things off of their pedestal. And so in this case, when the angels show up and say, glory to God in the highest, what they're saying, what they're declaring is there is now a beauty on earth that is pushing down all other beautiful things. It lessens all other beautiful things because of how beautiful this new thing Jesus Christ is. So there is a glory in Jesus that now diminishes and takes away attention from all other glorious things in life. I love how one pastor put it. He says, beef jerky is good until you offer me a filet. Glory to God in the highest. Something better is here. Better than what? Yes. 
you name it, it's better. More beautiful than what? Everything. More spectacular than what? Any other spectacular thing you can think of. Everything else gets bumped way down when you compare it to God's glory in Jesus Christ. And so what specifically is this beauty then? What is this glory that he has? Well, the angel's song is going to tell us. We'll see the rest of it here. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so what is the beauty? What is the magnificence that's come? It's that God in sending his son Jesus makes peace with the world. See, you and I, the Bible tells us, are broken from birth. We saw this in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 a few weeks ago. We are sinners by nature. Every one of us. Not a single one of us is righteous. All have fallen astray. Any righteousness that you can create by your own hands is a false righteousness that is not acceptable to God to pay for our sin. So, so you and I, fractured in our relationship with our creator, are now facing the wages of sin. We're facing the punishment for sin. What is that? Well, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And so what that means is, yes, physical death, but I think I think more than just physical death is that it's the inability to experience the fullness of life without that reconciliation. So, for example, I have a lot of non-Christian friends, feel very called to a lot of circles around here, um, and many of these people seemingly have, you know, happy and, or good lives, but, but if we were to put the fullness of life on a scale. Okay, let's say it's a scale, one out of 10, the fullness of life. Outside of Jesus, you could have a decent life and maybe you could get to like a seven or maybe even an eight out of 10, but you'll never get to a 10. Because in order to get there, in order to get the fullness of all things requires reconciliation to your creator. Without it, you'll, you'll cap out. You'll, you'll hit a ceiling. Because everything that God has given to us, he's given for the praise of his glorious grace. So that any of life's experiences that don't move you into praise and thanksgiving towards God, that makes us hit a ceiling. It limits our capacity for joy and the fullness of life. So for example, you know, non-Christian marriages, husbands, wives who are non-Christians can, can have, a, have a decent marriage, can have a good marriage emotionally, intellectually, physically, 
But the Bible speaks of a connection, a beautiful connection of souls that can only occur when two sinners have submitted their lives fully to Jesus Christ. And when that happens, when we're reconciled to our creator, we're able to walk in an intimacy with one another and experience the fullness of life that is impossible without that. And so that's the reason the peace God brings us in the birth of Jesus is such a big deal. God makes peace where the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but the absence of the fullness of life. The second part of that Romans text says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus is about the bringing of of peace amidst the chaos and amidst our rebellion towards God and ultimately God's right wrath towards our rebellion. But Jesus comes, he's born and he steps into the middle of that chaos and brings peace with his blood that was shed on the cross, which absorbs all of God's wrath for those who would believe. And in doing so, when God looks at you, he doesn't see any of the mess, none of the sin that you're coming in here with today, none of the shame that you're holding on to. No, because Jesus was born, because he shed his blood, he now sees you as perfect and holy and blameless, all because of the peace that was born on Christmas Day. Glory to God in the highest. Like, that's what we're celebrating. Don't miss that. That's everything. Let's, let's look at one more text together and we'll bring this thing home here. Colossians 3. Colossians 3 verse 15. It says, And let the peace of Christ, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Uh, this shore has been my prayer for us this whole week. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so if you're in here uh, and you're not a Christian or you're watching online or you're listening later, um, first off, we're so glad you're here. My guess is that, you know, either you got dragged here against your will by a friend or, or maybe, maybe, you've been searching for peace in a million other places and haven't found it. And so my challenge to you would be to consider the peace that Jesus has to offer. And in this space right now, I can only begin to know the multitude of inner noise and anxieties and voices and pain and struggle that is being carried collectively in here right now. I know it's there because it's with me right now. 
And I'm always very weary as a, as a preacher to tell you that there's an easy fix to make it all go away. Because the reality is, both, both personally and even biblically, again and again, we see that following Jesus doesn't always mean that life gets easier and all your problems go away. In fact, some of the most godly men and women in the scriptures and throughout history have struggled deeply with anxiety and depression and sorrow and pain and loss. And so I want to equip you to be guarded if you ever hear someone teaching that if you just have enough faith, if you just give enough, if you just try harder, that all your problems will go away. That is not true. And so I know that there's a lot of collective noise in here right now. And here's the truth. For the follower of Jesus, peace isn't always about having all the noise go away. Peace is having hope in the midst of the noise. Peace is knowing that even in our darkest hour, the light of Christ shines brightest. Peace is knowing that though my sins are scarlet, he has washed them white as snow. Peace is knowing that just like Jesus came as a baby at Christmas, to give us hope, to help us in our pain and struggle. Peace is knowing that he's coming again. He's coming again to take away all of our pain and sorrow once and for all. It's not always gonna be like this. And while we wait, we join in song with the angels and we join the angels in heralding the good news of Jesus' peace. Glory to God in the highest. Let's pray. So Father, we just, we can't even begin to thank you for sending us your son this Christmas season. I just ask that we would have the ability to feel the weight of that. That this wouldn't just be story. This would be a reality. That you sent your son to give us hope, to give us peace, to pay for our sins, and to help us and meet us exactly as we are right now. And for my brothers and sisters here who maybe feel like the shepherds, maybe they feel right now that they're outcasts, that their social circles have turned on them, said they don't belong, said that they're, they don't belong with this group. Just pray that they would know with confidence and assurance that they belong with you and you are inviting them in to be at table with them now. May your peace, Jesus, just rule in our hearts. May your peace meet us amidst 
all of the noise happening inwardly inside of us. We love you. We need you. Just grow our affection and love for you. May your glory just diminish and push back all the other things we're seeking that aren't you, that aren't bringing us peace, that are probably even bringing us more anxiety than peace, Lord. Help us just combat those. We need you. We love you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.